Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today we have Andrew Horn today, which he is the co-founder and CEO of uh, Tribute, which is a creative collaborative video managing uh, montage system company. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. How are you? I am blessed. Thank you. Uh, really happy to have you on the show here. And I just give a small introduction of who you are, what you do as your company, but do you mind unpacking that a bit more and talking to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Tribute is the number one uh, collaborative video montage service on the planet. So imagine Chris waking up on his birthday and he gets a video with 20 of his favorite people all telling him exactly why they love him and think he's amazing. So we built a piece of software that turns what used to be a 15 hour process of creating one of those into a 15 minute process. And over the past eight years, we've given over 5 million videos around the globe. And we're really on this mission to spread gratitude and human connection in every corner of the planet. So I love that. I did see that you guys have 500 plus uh, videos made. You guys recently made the list of Inc. 500 at 256, which is not a small feat. So congratulations on that end. But before going into unpacking all the success of what you guys are doing within the business here, how did you get the idea? Where did this come up from? There has to be an origin story. There has to be something that you potentially did, did not do. How did this start off for you? Yeah, there definitely is. So on my 27th birthday, uh, I had told my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, that I, and who's also a Quebecois, as we were just discussing, um, that uh, I didn't really want to do anything big that year. I wanted to keep it pretty low key. And she was like, yeah, sure. So we went out to dinner, we did some dancing, and then we we're coming back to our apartment. And when I opened the door to our apartment, I see like 20 pairs of shoes that I know are not mine. And I was like, what's happening? And she counts down, three, two, one. And all of our friends jump out of the bathrooms and the closets, and it's this big surprise party. And so about halfway through the party, she gathers everyone in the living room. And then she's like, just sit in the back. And so I sit there and she puts this uh, video up on our TV. And what I did not know is that Mickey had reached out to 20 of my closest friends and asked them all to submit a one minute video telling me why they love me. And she edited those together in a montage and then she hit play. And I sat in the back of the room as my dad came on the screen and talked about how much he loves me. And my mom talked about how proud of me she is for starting her business for her. And my friend Matthew basically tells me that I'm his best friend for the first time ever. And I also felt similarly, but we had never put words to that uh, connection. And so it was in that moment that I just started to bawl. I was just overwhelmed with emotion. I just started to cry. And I did that for the last, for the next 20 minutes. And I remember I just came out of that experience and I looked at my girlfriend, Mickey, and I said, you know, how, how did you do this? This is the best gift I've ever received. 
And she just looks back at me and she was like, well, it really sucked. Actually, it took me like 15 hours and I had to email people hundreds of times. And I had to collect all these videos through Dropbox and Drive and text message. And I had to edit it all together in iMovie. And so immediately I said, well, this is the most meaningful gift I've ever received. And it's difficult to create. And so I walked into the next room within a minute. I said, this is a tribute video. And I just did a quick Google search. And I said, is anyone else doing this? Like collaborative video montage, group video montage. And there was nothing, you know, this was 2014. So it's like, this is like just when Snapchat is starting, video is just becoming a thing. Um, and I, I knew immediately, I said, I'm going to create a business that makes this easier for everyone on the planet to experience. And so what started as a little, uh, you know, kind of like mission to share this, this profound experience that I had had has grown into this movement. And we've really spawned an entire industry. We've got like three or four competitors now. Uh, you've got big companies like Hallmark that are moving into kind of the video gratitude space. And we were truly the first. And so it's fun to have not only been able to contribute directly, but also to just show people how we can create technology that makes it easier to share what matters, the love, the appreciation, the gratitude, the things that connect us more deeply in our important relationships. Okay, Andrew, so I mean, that is an amazing story. And I truly love businesses. And the businesses that I believe that succeed the most are purpose-driven businesses. And there was a purpose here, right? There was a why behind what you were doing. The second that you got that at your 27th birthday and you were just balling for 20 some minutes and having one of your boys to be like, actually say the words of you're my best friend, maybe wouldn't have said it otherwise is a game changer. Now, the aspect of you thinking about, hey, we have to make this into a business when you research that there wasn't this product out there after speaking to your then girlfriend, now wife of how she went through the process of taking X amount of time to do this. What was your background at that point? Did you already have a business? Were you looking for a business opportunity? Or when this came about, everything kind of moved aside and you're like, hey, this is where it has to go. Like, did you know that this was going to be something special or you were just going towards, I felt something, I feel like other people can feel it with this product. Yeah, well, I mean, special, you know, I, I immediately knew that it was one of the most important things that I had ever experienced. So, I mean, if I could share that with one person, with two people, that would be meaningful. If I could share it with 20, that'd be even more meaningful, a hundred more meaningful, a million more meaningful, a billion, even more meaningful. So yeah, it was special from the beginning because I cared about it and I knew that there was a, an impact attached to it that I could relate to. And so um, so I always, I always knew that it was a really special thing and it still is just as much as it was on day one. And, um, yeah, I, I became an entrepreneur out of necessity just because I fundamentally could not find motivation to work for somebody else doing something that I didn't deeply care about and believe in. And so I started my first organization when I was 21 years old, which was, a a nonprofit that was helping young people with disabilities to play sports. That business was called uh, dreams for kids, DC. And we did all sorts of sports, everything from hockey to baseball to water skiing for kids, full spectrum of physical, cognitive, developmental disabilities. And uh, yeah, it's really, that was my first exposure to entrepreneurship. I would call it social entrepreneurship. And um, we then started an agency that was helping entrepreneurs and primarily speakers and consultants and trainers to build brands that allowed them to speak and synthesize information about what they really cared about and started to get more into strategic communications and coaching myself. And so I had always, uh, from the time that I graduated from college, you know, been in a place where I was starting things and had established the mindset where if I wanted to do something that was somewhat of a possibility and it showed myself that at a young age. Um, although that was not always clear. I was, a, I was a pretty lackluster student, had a 
a real challenge finding motivation to kind of invest myself into a great deal of anything until I was 21. But it really just became out of necessity when I realized like, oh, like if I just can't motivate for a normal nine to five job, um, like I'm just going to be broke. I'm going to be a derelict. So I got to figure out what I can do that actually motivates me. And ultimately I found that purpose and that drive in, in serving others. I truly love what you're saying, Andrew, over here, because this is something that's really close to my heart as I am a high performance coach as well. And one of my more four main pillars, the last one to be specific is on the ideology that as an entrepreneur, you have to create massive value, which is going to create massive impact. Then it's going to create massive income, not the other way around. A lot of entrepreneurs think, hey, let's make the money and then we'll bring value and then we'll bring impact to people. But you always have what I understand, even with the previous business that you had with helping youth in the sports and all that stuff that have disabilities, understood the value aspect. What am I really creating with value? What value am I putting out there in the universe? What impact is that creating? And then the success is going to follow financially and so on and so forth. So I think just by the basis that you created this video business in this regards, I think it's inevitable and makes perfect sense why you're succeeding in that end. Now, let's let's talk about the, the growth of, business, of the business in itself, because I equate businesses a lot to, let's say, a child being born in the beginning, you know, you're a baby, it's awkward, you're wiping your butt, like it's it's difficult, right? And then you get to a certain point that you start growing, you start making money and starts being successful, start hiring, but it's still awkward. You're like in that teenager years, right? The things are not necessarily perfect-ish, but you're going towards the right direction. Then you become in that maturity stage of like, you're a grown adult, you know, your thoughts, your values, and so on and so forth. And it's so much smoother in that regards. So talk to me a bit about those three elements and tell me where you are within the business right now. And what were certain challenges and opportunities in each and every one of that with your business in itself? Because now you, like I said, you just made the list of uh, Inc. 500, which not a lot of companies make. So talk to us about those three processes within the business in itself. Yeah, I mean, the the first stage was just starting. And I think that that's probably where most people, you know, never collect $200 or pass go to begin with is that they they don't take the first step. And so, um, I mean, we, we started by doing these by hand before we ever had a piece of technology. I was literally, I went on Craigslist, I found an intern, we were getting people to, uh, pay us so that we could have a, an actual person who just managed this process through Gmail and Google Drive. And we'd edit these together in iMovies with people and charge them just to prove that this was something that people wanted. And people love these. And all the people that were watching their videos were crying. And so by the time that we had a couple of those under our belt, now we had content. We could go and start a Kickstarter campaign and raise $35,000 to start building a prototype. And then we're able to build a prototype. So now we actually have a working model that we can put forth so that now when we go out to our first investors we're not going with just an idea we're going with testimonials of people talking about this being the best gift they've ever received in their entire life we're going with an existing piece of technology that shows that we can build things we can design beautiful experiences and so that's definitely the first step and then you know we we hit uh, a stage which i would say is like the the attempted growth and stagnation stage where we were always making money as a company but there was not the type of growth that we we needed to be able to sustain ourselves and families in New York City at the time. And so around 2018, we hit a place where we were making a decision of what do we do with this business? It's making some money, not enough to sustain us. Do we sunset this? Because ultimately it's not going to generate enough revenue for us to focus on this full time. And ultimately what we decided is that we still felt that there were things that we could do that would provide us with an opportunity to continue growing the business. 
So my co-founder and I actually left the business for about two years. We worked on other projects. I started leading retreats. I started coaching full-time. My co-founder started working at Google. And over those two years, we were just working on it as really a passion project. And we had a skeleton team of about five people who were running the website, running customer support. And in the midst of those two years, March 2020 comes to us. And essentially what happens in March 2020 is a number on the 15th, I see our traffic. I get our traffic report every morning and I see our traffic spike. We get double traffic. Like, oh, cool. Like someone must be launching a big tribute. Next day, traffic doubles again from there. And I'm like, whoa, that's cool. And then it hits me. Oh, we just went into lockdown for COVID. No one can go to birthday parties. No one can have graduations. All of the weddings are canceled. People can't go to funerals. So in a time when people can't celebrate the people they care about, tribute becomes obvious as this, not even nice to have, but this need to have to connect people. And so, you know, that year we went from five employees to over a hundred, including our support agents and everything else. And we've had a healthy contraction back to like a stability now. But so that was the, the second stage, which was really this kind of like, if we did not care about this business and love it, it wouldn't exist because in 2018, if it wasn't making enough money, I would have said, like, no way, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just do this thing to make not enough money to really sustain myself and my family. But because I believed in the impact, I was able to work on it in my free time. My co-founder was committed to it and we were able to, to persist until the conditions met. And so now, you know, we, we 20 X the business in 2020 alone. Uh, we had consistent growth in 2021 and now in 2022, we're uh, a multi-million dollar stable company. And so now we're in this sustainability phase of really just running a profitable business, continuing to innovate, build new products, and ultimately work our way towards becoming what we think is going to be hallmark of the digital age, really the, the company that people use to share meaningful sentiments with the people they care about. Andrew, so first of all, for our listeners that are not the viewers, the whole time he was explaining this, I had a smile from ear to ear. And why that is, because that's a beautiful story in itself. But more importantly, as entrepreneurs or anybody that is getting in any field, it's really easy to look at somebody's success right now and be like, oh, wow, and look at them. And like we said, there's so much to look at just with uh, tribute in itself. Like I mentioned, being named in the uh, Inc. 500. But now he gave us the breakdown of how it started and the questions he had. Like in 2018, brother, you were like, oh my God, did we sunset this? Did we stop it? And then you guys took a step back and then COVID happened. And then you realize that, oh, wait a minute, there's a need for this, not even a demand, a need for it in the, the social structure that we have. So it's really great to hear these stories and associate yourself. Sometimes when you're comparing yourself, be aware. Are you comparing somebody step 75 to your step 17? Everybody goes through that process. So thank you for sharing that, Andrew. I truly appreciate it. And as you mentioned, you did take those two years to really do full-time coaching and speaking. And I know that you do that uh, quite uh, eloquently in that regard. Talk to us a bit about what you speak about in regards to the social flow and as well that I do know that there's a book coming out in that regard. So talk to us about the social flow aspect that you like to uh, communicate. Yeah, so at, at my core, there are two things that I care most about and the most fascinated by. And I would say that it is the relationship of communication and human connection. Um, so how does communication serve meaningful human connection? It's just what I'm naturally most interested in. It's what I care most about. And I think that so much of my interest here revolves around the experience of really being isolated and lonely growing up uh, in Hawaii and feeling... Uh, you know, really self-conscious and even coming out of middle school and high school 
being social, but still feeling insecure and drained by social interaction. And even as I became an entrepreneur and a public speaker, I loved the process of public speaking, but every single one of those instances brought me so much anxiety and strain mm. to actually have the impact that I wanted to. And so, so much of my study and exploration of uh, meaningful and strategic communication was because I was trying to communicate and show up in the world confidently and clearly like I wanted to. And it was always so elusive to me until I discovered this modality called Gestalt communication, which ultimately is a derivation of this therapeutic modality called Gestalt. And what it does is rather than so much of our communication tools and techniques are predicated on us telling ourselves that we need to package our communication and ourselves into some sort of form that will have the impact that we want on other people. And we're so focused on external validation and being received a certain way. And when we're focused on how people are receiving us and that external validation, it opens us up for anxiety because we don't know what other people are going to think about us, how they're going to respond. And what I learned through this exploration and study of Gestalt is that rather than focusing on the external, how do we point our awareness internally onto these uh, pillars of intentionality, curiosity, authenticity, and presence? And basically, when we look at those, these are these intrinsic motivators that we can always know. Uh, so you can think about it as I can. Intentionality. How do I want to be? Curiosity. What do I want to know? Authenticity. What am I feeling? What do I want to share? And now, just coming back to presence. And what I realized in synthesizing this modality is that if we just simply shift our awareness onto what's real for us inside, we always have enough to know who we are and how we want to be in every social interaction. And that actually, when we commit to this authentic transmission of who we are, it's not just the most effective pathway to confidence and clear communication and building meaningful relationships, which I found that it is, but fundamentally, we create space for other people to be themselves and to be authentic. It's like when I look at you, Chris, I would actually I'll ask you a question. Like, Chris, do you want me to feel like I can be completely myself on this podcast? 100%. That's something I strive for and I try to do as much as possible to get the best conversations. Great. And so how could you truly believe that and want that if you were not courageous enough to do that for yourself? Yeah. Right. If you want, if you want that for me, then you, the best way to serve that desire is to do it yourself. And when we hold on to that frame, we turn this pursuit of authenticity into an implicit act of service. And I think that that is what really changes is that it's like, I, I want to be myself, not just because I want that, but because I know that I can create space for other people to feel safe to do that for themselves. And so I've spent you know, much of the last five years speaking and, and writing, and now we're working on a book that's called Social Flow, which basically takes a lot of the research that has primarily been uh, focused on extreme sports and athletes and entrepreneurs in the realm of flow. And for those who, who aren't familiar, flow states are essentially just like, what we would think of as the optimal state of human performance. It's a field of study that was created by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi in, in the 1990s. And uh, a lot of those same principles that allow us to create those peaks, peak states elsewhere in our life 
are fundamentally the same for social interaction and relationship building. And so what social flow does is takes those four pillars of intentionality, curiosity, authenticity now, and shows us how in any given moment, especially those where we're feeling some tension, contraction, anxiety, we can use I can as a pattern interrupt to connect with those intrinsic motivators to connect and bring us back into confidence, clear communication and connection wherever we go. Andrew, that was a very eloquent answer. I'm going to unpack it and highlight as best as possible certain things that I want the listeners and the viewers to really uh, get on that end. So first and foremost, I truly believe as a high performing uh, coach and something that I really have studied and see within my top tier clients and myself, the number one thing is self-awareness. So what you're talking about with the I can is 100% self-awareness, is understanding who you are, what you're feeling, and so on. And the example that you gave as me as a host of this show, how do I want Andrew to be so centered and open and authentic and transparent is for me to reflect that. And there's something in your brain called the mirror neuron. So the more you are, the more it's going to reflect in your counterpart. So the more you are intrinsically like that by yourself, you're going to attract that. So that's something you've, you've uh, alluded to and uh, approached as well. You mentioned something, which is one of my favorite uh, researches or ways to kind of unpack really 500% more productivity is a state of flow. Like you mentioned, uh, Mihaly Chinsent Mihaly, which was a researcher that brought this uh, more popular in the early 90s, talks about it at a very high level. So this is something that is really obvious that you are obviously high performing, but you're very self-aware. And in that regards, I want to correlate it to my next question, because you did mention flow and somebody else that speaks about flow is Stephen Cutler, which I'm sure you've heard about and you know, and he has one of his books that he alludes to Burning Man. And before starting the recording, you kind of mentioned that, hey, you're going to that Burning Man thing. And first of all, talk to me in regards to what is Burning Man and why are you going to it as an entrepreneur? This is where I want to kind of allude to it. This is not just like a festival. What I understand, I've never uh, unfortunately had the experience uh, to do it yet, but what I understand, it's not just an experience that you're just going for spirituality, but there's a lot of business people that go there. Why do you think there is such an important importance or demand or uh, a, you know, a community of entrepreneurs, top tier entrepreneurs that go to these types of events? Yeah, I mean, I think that why it attracts so many of, you know, the the most impactful and influential entrepreneurs in the world, I mean, everyone from Elon Musk to Sergey Brin to Mark Zuckerberg, you name it, um, that they're drawn to this place because fundamentally I believe that it is the, the pinnacle of human creativity manifested. And outside of just the aspect of the creativity that is present there, uh, fundamentally, Burning Man is an annual gathering um, that is based around 10 core principles. And so what happens is in Nevada, every single year, around 60,000 people will travel to this festival. Uh, they purchase tickets. And then once they come inside of the festival, uh, there is no money exchanging hands except for one cafe where you can buy like an iced coffee. Um, so it's all predicated on uh, zero commodification. That everything is based on gifting. So everyone who's going there is creating art and creating offerings from food to classes to experiences and everything is just gifted. And so you have this principles of radical self-expression and inclusion and so many others that just create what is this powerful momentum and like upward 
like momentum around just uh, people being the best versions of themselves is the best way that I can say that. And so um, the reason that I, I think it draws so many entrepreneurs is that it, it kind of redefines like what we think is possible for modern civilization, for communities, for human transformation. And um, outside of that, it's just so fun. I mean, it's just, it's, there's partying and there's ways to learn and you're in the desert, largely away from devices for a week. And so it spawned an entire movement around these principal values-based communities. So now in countries all over the globe, they have their regional burns where people are orchestrating their own communities where they're following the principles and each of them are different in their own right. But it really is, I think, the one of the, the most important and beautiful studies in what happens when uh, people organize around really clear principles and values. And um, it's, it's, it's a really wonderful experience. I'm grateful that I get to be a part of it. And I've been going for 10 years and this will be number 11. And the story that you're talking about is in the beginning of his book, Stealing Fire, Stephen Kotler talks about, um, what's his name, Eric, former CEO of Google. I'm forgetting his last name right now. But um, he, he basically, when Sergey and Larry at Google were looking for their next CEO, uh, they connected with uh, this guy and to evaluate his ability to really think on the fly, they took him to Burning Man because they wanted to see how this person operates in an environment that is really harsh. A part of Burning Man is that it happens in the middle of a desert that's scorching hot during the day that is uh, completely freezing at night. You know, there are no facilities that are created for people to shower or to eat. Everything is self-erected. And so they wanted to see how someone could operate uh, with uh, an environment like this that had so many variables and challenges. And it was ultimately seeing him in that environment where they felt that he was someone who was really malleable and could work at, at the same kind of like frequency that they were at. So that's the, that's the story. Yeah, we'll be headed back in a week. So, I mean, that is amazing. Thank you for sharing that and really kind of alluding to potentially like this utopian society that can be created, right, towards what we could potentially go towards. And not only that, I truly love doing things like that. And when I mean things, I mean anything that takes you a step away from your reality, from your business, because that is such an advantage for your business. Because once your conscious mind stops working on a specific problem that you're working on, your subconscious mind finds the solutions towards it. So once you're taking a step back for this week and being in this utopian, let me call it society and just having fun, there are things that are happening for your business without even you knowing. And some people think there was, unfortunately, the last several years, which I'm against, there's this ideology of the hustle culture that's been predicated in the world of entrepreneurship. You know, you, you, you sleep when you die, you work until you can't like, I mean, it's, I don't think it's, it's feasible. And I'm sure that Andrew, you think the same thing, especially if you're somebody that does study uh, human behavior and flow and so on. So it's interesting to have these moments of like taking a step back and uh, uh, burning man being one of them. Uh, Andrew, I do want to be respectful for your time here. I feel like we could talk until tomorrow morning. You definitely have a, a great conversational flow here. No pun intended there. Uh, but I have a couple of questions. And my last uh, two are, my, yeah, my, my last two here is it's obviously very obvious that you are successful and you have succeeded so much. And there's a lot that we could learn from your success. But I truly believe a lot of 
success comes through learning from your mistakes, but not only your mistakes, but other people's mistakes as well. So my question to you is right now within your business, what is something that you're having a hard time with specifically in your business? How do you go about looking at it right now? What are certain solutions that you want to put in place to fix that uh, problem that you are having right now or a place that you want to optimize within uh, tribute right now? Yeah, I think, you know, growth is always like top of mind for us in terms of like how we're reaching um, sustainability and consistent growth. And so I think that probably one of the biggest areas of focus for me is just being able to have people who are supporting me to look big picture at what it is that we're doing as a company, where it is that we're headed and making sure that our energy is truly focused on the things that are driving the biggest impact in the company like the 80-20 rule of like basically 80% of your impact comes from 20% of your effort. And so if we're just constantly looking at like, okay, if we look at like what's working for the business, like what's actually driving revenue here? And for us, what drives the majority of our revenue is the virality of our core product. And so we can continue to spend a ton of money on our marketing department and marketing activities and email and SEO and so much other stuff which is important, but I think it's just helpful to understand, well, if 80% of your growth is coming from this part of the business, like perhaps rather than trying to fix this part of the business that may not be performing the way you want, what does it look like to actually focus on the part of the business that is driving the most impact? And so that's something that I think is constantly a challenge is just making sure that we are spending resources on the parts of the business that are providing the largest ROI. And so the CEO, that's, that's one of them. And then also, I think that we, we went through a contraction of a company basically after COVID, which we knew was going to happen, but which was challenging to go from around 100 employees to we created efficiencies on the team and new products that allowed us to shrink our support and our editing team. And so it was, it was fundamentally important for the business, but it also meant that we were going to be losing a lot of people who had done great work for us. And so uh, one of the things that came up in that that was challenging was just understanding the need to create a foundation of trust with our employees and as a CEO to communicate so clearly so that our employees could trust what it is that we're telling them about the business. And at one point in that journey of the contraction, I misspoke about uh, the number of people that we were going to let go. And it was not on purpose, but what ended up happening is that had made a statement about the number of people that we were going to let go and it ended up being larger. And so then what happened is if my people hear me say something and I do something different, so now can they trust anything that I say? And what it was, was a beautiful lesson in the importance of just honoring our word, especially if you're in a position of leadership, is that if you say something, whether that's, I'm going to be here at this time, or whether it is about hiring or whether it is about timelines, is that every time you say you're going to do something and you don't do it, you break trust with your team. And without trust, fundamentally, your team cannot function. Any relationship cannot function. And so it's just something that I've been really focused on uh, as we continue to grow the business is what can I do to cultivate more trust here? And that, that fundamentally is like one of the most important and effective ways to build really strong teams. That was a fire answer. Really, really, really like, thank you for kind of breaking down, especially on the aspect of, like you said, everybody wants to grow, 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 but at certain points leaning down in a intelligent way is more not profitable, but more strategic 
for the growth in the long term of the business. And that aspect that you just said with the trust that as a leader, sometimes when you say some things and you're not thinking through it 100%, you say a wrong thing, you can lose that trust. And then people, that one thing that you lost their trust on will potentially not believe you for the rest is completely like difficult. So being aware of that trust level and being aware of what you're communicating and how you're communicating is so important and vital as a leader, whatever position you are, whatever level you're at, uh, it is very important. So thank you for sharing that. Definitely uh, some takeaways that I'm going to take away from that. Uh, So my last question for you, Andrew, is where can people connect with you if they're interested uh, in knowing more about you, your brand, your business, where's the best place that they could connect with you? Yeah, so uh, go ahead and check out tribute.co. That's where you can find tribute. And then all of my work, my talks, if you want to work with me uh, on advisory for a business, if you want to bring me in to facilitate a workshop or a talk, all that happens at ITS, it's, and then my name, andrewhorn.com. Awesome. Everything you mentioned will be in the show notes below. Andrew, once again, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. It was a true pleasure. Thank you for having me. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didia. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.